conscious capital. Profit equals people and planet. This is Conscious Capital with Tane Hunter. Revolutionising the way we think about business and investment. Find us on DAB Plus and Instagram. Hi, I'm Tane Hunter and you're listening to Conscious Capital, where we explore the cutting edge of science, technology and human progress to help individuals and organisations understand what's coming next. On this show, you'll hear from scientists, entrepreneurs and technologists who are all on a mission to foster intelligent and optimistic thinking about our future. You'll learn that there are better ways of doing things in the 21st century and how you can be part of creating and investing in a fair and sustainable future for all. Conscious Capital. Better business for a better world. Welcome to Conscious Capital. I'm Tane Hunter. My background is in cancer research, data science, and machine learning, what everyone is calling artificial intelligence at this point in time. I'm also the co-founder of FutureCrunch. And no, it's not a breakfast cereal for robots. It's actually a research and media company with a pretty simple mission, to explore what's happening on the frontiers of science and technology and seek out stories of human progress. We're focused on the solutions rather than the problems. We work with organizations to understand what's coming next and ensure they're creating sustainable businesses that work for people and the planet. Conscious Capital, net profit to net zero. Do you remember when the first time you played Lego was? Do you remember your first set? If you're anything like me, you would have loved playing with all the colors in the rainbow and building something new and innovative. That's exactly what our guest later in the show, Dr. Kate Raines Goldie, does, but to corporations. She's the founder and creator of SuperConnect, a proven tool to foster human connection, boost psychological safety, ignite curiosity, and most of all, enable better conversations about difficult things. SuperConnect is built on Lego Serious Play, a method used by global mega brands like IKEA, Virgin, and Samsung. But before we get to that, let's talk about some recent stories of science and technology, new innovations, and human progress. Why, you ask? Because I'm really excited about what's going on in the world and beyond, and I think you should be too. Right now, there are 10 people living in space. And the James Webb Space Telescope is starting to throw up some pretty chunky mysteries. Astronomers have noticed that a surprising number of young galaxies have cyclones churning in their centers. The best explanation for these tornado-hearted galaxies is that large black holes are whipping the gas clouds into a frenzy. But justifying their presence may force a rewrite of theories around star and galaxy information. So stay tuned. Now back here on the planet we call home, Pepsi and Walmart are collaborating to help North American farmers adopt regenerative agricultural practices across 2 million acres of farmland over the next seven years. Nestle has gotten on board and pledged $1 billion for Regen Ag across its supply chain and has committed to sourcing 50% of key ingredients from regenerative agricultural methods by the end of the decade. It is awesome to see such big organizations getting on the Regen Ag bandwagon. Now, Remember that stranded oil tanker in Yemen? Over a million barrels of oil have now been removed, averting a major disaster. Almost all the oil is now aboard a replacement tanker, preventing a monumental environmental and humanitarian catastrophe. Meanwhile, in a development that should give everyone hope, 
A young group of people in Montana has secured a court victory that rules citizens have a constitutional right to clean and healthful environments, and that the state's failure to consider climate change when evaluating new projects was causing harm. Now, this is a huge crack in the dam, setting a prehistoric precedent for hundreds of similar suits in the future. I certainly can't wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I seriously can't decide what's more cyberpunk. Kenyans getting their eyeballs scanned by a metallic silver orb in exchange for magical internet money controlled by Silicon Valley billionaires? Or Saudi Arabia teaming up with Dutch horticulturalists to build synthetic climate greenhouses that are controlled by AI and the lighting and water systems are all on the outskirts of a 170-kilometer-long city in the desert? Or how about this? Scientists have trained a computer to analyze the brain activity of someone listening to Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. The researchers are from Berkeley, so of course they chose Pink Floyd. But what's really cool about the project is that it's based only on the observation of neuronal patterns. And they can recreate the song, albeit it's a bit muffled. It sounds like an underwater version. Now, the hippies will definitely be stoked, but most importantly... The findings offer a step towards creating more expressive devices to assist people who can't speak and give us new insight into the most complex biological organ that we know of in the universe, the human brain. And a research team was combing the coastline of southwest Portugal in search of evidence about how its ecosystem had changed over time when they stumbled upon an astonishing and unexpected scene. Bees that had been mummified in a subterranean sarcophagi for nearly 3,000 years. I can see it now, the next mummy movie, Return of the Bees. It's certainly going to be a bee movie. Probably a good time for a break here. You're on Conscious Capital with me, Tane Hunter, on Disrupt Radio, streaming live at Disrupt Radio, and more about how to make the world a better place with renewable energy in just a moment. Conscious Capital. Better business for a better world. Let's talk about some recent progress in one of my favorite areas, clean energy. The revolution is truly underway. Most European countries are now on track to hit their 2030 solar installation targets way ahead of schedule. 23 countries will get there by 2027, meaning that millions of more tons of emissions will be saved each year than had previously been predicted. And to be honest, solar analysts' even most optimistic predictions have nearly always undershot the mark. All right, quiz time. What's better than utility-scale solar? Well, for me, it's solar on flooded former coal quarries, which are online now in China and the USA. And what's better than floating solar? Solar on trash heaps. One of the biggest solar farms in the UK is about to get switched on. And it was built up on top of 5 million tons of trash on a landfill site half an hour outside of central London. And meanwhile, India's emissions intensity has fallen by 33% in 14 years, thanks to renewable energy and reforestation. Now, wind power capacity has reached 43 gigawatts and solar capacity is now at 70, with another 55 currently under construction. That puts... India fourth in the world for total renewable energy capacity and on track for its 500 mega gigawatt target by 2030. Now, I said gigawatts a lot in that last story, so let me break it down for you. 
A gigawatt can power 750,000 households for one year. And that's based on homes in developed countries. In places like India, that will be probably far more. If they reach 500 gigawatts, it's probably like half a billion houses powered for a year. Now, here in Australia, CBA, the country's biggest bank, just released a landmark fossil fuel financial policy that rules out project finance for new oil and gas extraction and for expansions of existing projects. Australia makes an outsized contribution to the climate chaos. It's one of the top three exporting petrostates alongside Saudi Arabia and Russia. So this is a big deal. And some more good news from here in Australia. A quarter of Queensland energy is now being generated by renewables, and the state is on track to hit 50% within the next seven years. Now, this is good news because Queensland is Australia's biggest coal producer and the country's biggest carbon emitter. And finally, Nigeria is building West Africa's first solar factory and may be on the verge of a boom in rooftop solar. As the recent ending of an expansive gasoline subsidy that has undercut economics of fossil fuel-powered generators. Now, in the country, around 46% of Nigerians still have no access to electricity. So a boom in rooftop solar would be a very huge help. Now, just imagine if this is what the news sounded like. How would you feel? I think it would give a lot more people hope and tear us away from the doom and gloom that often fills the information highways. A company in the Netherlands is designing experimental 3D-printed reefs. Now, these are not in the ocean. They're in the cities. These reefs are for the streets. They're designed to improve biodiversity, greening, habitat, and water retention in cities. Now, on this show, we've talked a lot about the extremely positive impact of green spaces on the psyche of people living in cities. I mean, the Japanese even have a term for it, tree bathing. And it helps form new, new neural pathways and folds proteins in the brain that help re- relaxation and help you sleep better. The prototype, which they're calling the rain reef, is printed from a porous composite of seeds, coffee grounds, and fungi, you know, mycelium. The organic and convoluted shape of the reef is actually designed for maximum surface area for the collection of rainwater, where it would normally just run off off the concrete surfaces and into the drains and wastewater in the city. So this reduces runoff and an increased likelihood of seed germination on the reef structure, and they definitely put some native plants in there as well. There's also what is called a zoo reef. This is intended to substitute for fountains in cities. It provides a more diverse 3D-printed infrastructure that actually interacts with existing fountains, animal habitats, and will develop and support city biodiversity for things like insects, birds, and other little critters. You're on Conscious Capital with me, Tane Hunter, on Disrupt Radio, new to DAB+, and streaming live at disrupt.radio. Now, trust, understanding, and connection between people is an important part of every business large and small, and also in all walks of life. And because I believe collaboration always trumps genius, I've invited Kate Raines-Goldie to help us with some insight. Kate is a multi-award-winning human connection designer. She has a PhD in cultural anthropology, and she's also a keynote speaker, and her newest topic is AI, and she's incredible on stage. Or check her out on YouTube. She also gets corporates to play with Lego, 
to ignite their play and curiosity, which I think we all need a little bit more of, especially in the workplace. Basically, Kate is a solid all-rounder, and I can tell you this, she is a lot of fun to hang out with. Kate, welcome to Conscious Capital. Thanks for having me. That was the best intro. (laughs) (laughs) I read your full standard bio at the start of the show, but before we dive in, tell us something about yourself that we wouldn't find on Google or social media, something you can't find on the interweb. Oh, okay. First thing I was going to say is I'm obsessed with rock climbing and bouldering, which is rock climbing without ropes, but you can probably find that. So the thing that isn't on the internet is my dad is a geologist, and so my family holidays as a kid involves, he's obsessed with volcanoes. Oh, wow. Um, Flying over volcanoes, um, flying over volcanoes, walking on hot lava, going down mines, all sorts of things involving rocks. Yeah, I love volcanoes. My one volcano trip was in Guatemala on Volcan Bacaya, and my shoes were literally starting to melt in a few places. So it's fun, but a bit unnerving. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So you describe yourself as a human connection designer. What does that mean, and how did you get there? That that is a very good question, (laughs) and I wonder that myself sometimes because it wasn't an intentional thing it happened. And I guess that's the anthropologist ethnographer in me, which is really seeing what is happening and what is of interest and importance to people and following that. And so I'd say it's a journey through that. I've always been interested in connection and how technology does or doesn't connect us. And I was doing a PhD on Facebook, looking at how that does or does not connect us. Wow, <laughs> I think we know the answer to yeah. that. <laughs> But at the same time, as a sort of, I guess, if you're thinking in yoga terms, like a counterpose or a mental health balance, I started doing physical world game design. So if we remember alternate reality games or pervasive yep. games or Pokemon Go or escape rooms, started doing that as a hobby. And then that became the thing that I really focused on. But what I realized in that was what I was really interested in was how it connects people and how it's another, it's like another technology we can say for connecting people. And that journey is looking at how we can connect or not connect people through different things. And similarly, how I got to using Lego as a tool for connection, which is another unexpected use of Lego. But I got into that as a way to how can I enable the same things that we get from games in terms of getting people to have conversations, getting people to connect with each other, to reflect about difficult topics in a fun way. How can we do that in a way that's a lot more accessible and easy for people to get into, but also for me to create experiences? So that's a high-level answer to a very multi-decade journey into connection. So you've used the word connection a lot. How would you define connection? And because I think connection is particularly important in a hyper-connected world. So how do you view as a positive connection or what does successful connection look like to you? Yes. And I think that's really why I like to add that human connection in front of it, because we do live in a hyper-connected world, but I wouldn't say that's quality connection. It's really about trust and authenticity and vulnerability. And the more that we can create that, the the platform as a, both as an end in itself, but also as a platform for doing 
other things better. Can you give me an example? What, what, what does it allow you? What other things does it allow you to do better? Innovation, creativity, team building, strategy, exploring mental health, learning. There's so many applications for it. Now, outside of Lego, what are some of your favorite games to get people to connect? Or you can even just say, what's your favorite game in real life, non-digital? I used to really be into European board games and Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't have time for those anymore. But I just received a play date, which was created by Panic, and it took a long time for it get, to get distributed to the world, even though it's they launched it about two years ago. So I finally got mine. I was in group four. But it's like hearkening back to the video game, the Game Boy days where everything's black and white and super 8-bit. But it has a crank as one of the ways you interact. It has the D-pad and the A-B and then a crank. And I love that super analog. How can we control and play with games differently? And all of the games that are on it have some element of having to use the crank as part of the game. And the coolest part, aside from the crank, is that um, it has a season. So it'll download a new game. Every week, I think it is. And so you're constantly Ooh. getting these new little games that are crank-based. And it's just a completely different way than how we normally experience games. So it's not necessarily a, con- a way to connect, but it's definitely a way to to think differently and be innovative through play. And also, you have to be highly adaptable. You can't like become an expert in a game if the game is changing all the time. Yeah, exactly. And has a crank because no one's good at crank-based video games yet. So for our listeners, define what the crank does and how it goes. So it's this little kind of arm that sits at the side and it's almost like you can think of a music box or anything that you have to like wind up. So it has that and it folds out, has a little handle. You can turn it like clockwise or counterclockwise. And it does things like I'm playing a game now called Casual Birder. And it's basically you take photos of birds and the the crank is the focus control on the camera to focus on the bird or not. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I love bird watching and I do citizen science here in Melbourne and national bird week and go count all the birds at the local river. Now you're part of super connect, which uses Legos incorporations. How does the humble Lego brick really unlock an organization's next strategic move, their next innovation? (laughs) Yeah, so that's going back to what's the important importance of connection. So SuperConnect is my take on the open source method of Lego Serious Play, which was developed by two Euro- European business professors and Lego in the 90s. And it's a acknowledgement that you're doing very serious work, but in a playful way. And the reason I think it's so powerful is I did an interview last week with Popular Mechanics, which isn't so big in Australia, but I was like fangirling about it. Oh, it's huge in the US. I grew up with that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So I was like, ah! But it was the future of social media in a time when what's happening with Twitter slash X and what's next. And the insight I had in having that conversation that came to me, I love having conversations about these things because it always I get really excited and inspired we were talking about what researchers call context collapse. This isn't so much of a thing anymore, but in the early days of social media, when you would get on Facebook, for example, you were there you know, to show your party photos. And yeah. then your like, landlord or your boss would find them because it was a different audience. So it's the idea of your contexts are collapsed, which is not like a normal thing before social media, but social media created this situation. So... 
we've dealt with that by just being perfect in every single environment on online. So it's like, I'll just be perfect. And then I don't have to worry about the fact that this isn't for a specific audience. Yeah, so the result of that is that we're not really connecting properly anymore. We're just being perfect. It's a veneer. Yeah. And it's not authentic. And there's a the lack of vulnerability. And I remember the, inter- the internet in the days before that happened. And it was a totally different space. But what it got me realizing is the reason that people love to use Lego Serious Play and SuperConnect in any environment, but in corporate environments and work environments, is that we are just so craving that real, authentic, vulnerable connection with people. And there's something about, there's a lot of research around play and curiosity and why why play enables this vulnerability. But it's people get to have this thing that we don't have anymore, where we can be our closer to our real selves and show the things that aren't this perfect varnish. And so if you have that as a foundation where you have psychological safety, it just enables really magical things, say in a team that more business that's stuck where it's like I I had a, a team recently that came to me with a specific issue that they had that they thought was holding them back for a really long time. And they tried addressing it this way and this way. And nothing was working. And what we realized in the middle of the session was that they actually had this other thing that was holding them back. And once we identified that, they realized they were actually on the same page about the thing that they were thinking was the problem. But it was like it needed to have this, I think, real authenticity and connection and trust to allow that kind of transformative revelation to happen when they wouldn't have if if they weren't playing with Lego. Yeah, without naming the names of the organizations or necessarily the problem, can you skirt around it? What were they? Be, what was holding them up that they were all aligned with in the end after play? And it was understanding who they were, like who they were serving, versus having too many offerings. Ah, got you. Yeah. So narrowing down of what they had to offer and who they were serving. They thought that they had too many offerings and they were confusing the market, but what was actually happening was that they were trying to serve too many people, but what they realized was that there was actually an overlap in who they wanted to serve, but they didn't realize it. So it was like, now that we have our ideal avatar, we can go back and refine our offerings to really target them. So it's almost like taking a step back that they didn't realize they needed to do. Nice. Yeah. And I've been through a couple of play sessions with organizations and big corporates. And what I love too is it's a flattening of the hierarchical structure. Yes. You yeah. have everyone from different departments and managers. You mix, you shake the snow globe of the company structure. <laughs> and then you see the competitive people, the people who want to present the team's findings or whatever like that. And it really it changes the social dynamic inside the corporation. And I love to see what comes out of that kind of play and random teams of teams. I love that analogy of shaking the snow globe. It's exactly that because it's the intern and the CEO, the introvert, the extrovert all have a level playing field. Another example is we were doing a, it was a consultation for looking at how we get more women and girls into STEM and what some of the problems were. Mm. And it was bringing all the experts in to, to share what do we need to do And the client really wanted to have a sticky note brainstorm at the end because that was what they were comfortable with. Yeah. As soon as we switched into that, it was like it went back to being the agenda and the usual meeting. And so we we had a series of these workshops to do. So at the end of it, she's like, next one, we're not going to, we don't need to do the sticky notes, which is awesome. 
that, yeah, there's that recognition. But you can just see that contrast of what we're used to. And I think there's some, yeah, there's something really powerful about not doing it the usual way that just creates possibilities. Yeah, just, I mean, we're, we have a lot of neuroplasticity, but when you get stuck in the old ways of thinkings and that, that horrible saying, that's just how we do things around here, it's almost subconsciously that it happens in, organ, in an organization. Everyone falls into their roles and the daily grind when you could have a social media guru in your midst who is, I don't know, an accountant or maybe even the janitor. Who knows? They could have a million followers on X or threads i have no idea instagram but like it really is interesting to to see where people shine in contexts outside of of the standard work roles we're running a workshop called not safe for work and it doesn't mean anything like that but it means take people outside of the workplace and get them in a totally different environment and give them a random challenge like an escape room type thing or a treasure hunt And it really is interesting. And you also get emotional connections and vulnerability that you would never get in the standard workplace. So can you run me through how does the SuperConnect Lego thing work? How do you form the teams? Talk us a little bit about what you would expect in a session. Yeah, and that's a really great point. I was realizing that we, if you haven't played or haven't used Lego Serious Play or SuperConnect, it's like, how do you use Lego to do this? Because people come and they're like, I'm not creative or are there going to be instructions for us to follow? And it's almost undoing everything you know about Lego because it's not building cars and buildings and perfect. It's building metaphor and story. And so the things that you build are almost surreal and dreamlike. And that's where that power comes from because I'll give you an example. The best way is I would carry a Lego bag around with me to show people. And obviously we can't do that today, but the initiation exercise to get you thinking in this way of using Lego is you build a tower with you in it that says something about you. And even just building that, even though that's like a throwaway activity, it's not part of the whole part of the rest of what the serious things you're doing. The stuff that comes out of that is is absolutely amazing in terms of people getting surprise insight into themselves, into their teammates. It's amazing. So you go from there, you have different, they're called techniques. So that's what's called an individual build. So you just build that yourself and then you can go into, you can spend a whole day or multiple days doing this and putting together individual builds into large scale models of group builds and you can have connections and avatars and there's all of these things that you can do depending on what the outcome is that you want for the team or for the company or for the organization. So, I mean, if you were doing a group build, would that be for like a certain project or a building or something like that? And what does an avatar look like if it was a group build? So it would be, it's really guided by the outcomes. This is where I bring in my game design is what's the outcome that you want people to have? What's the insight? And so then you would design the questions. So it's really, it is about the Lego, but it's really about the intentional curious questions that you that are designed to be really open-ended. So you don't want to have a yes or no question. It's a prompt. And the order that you ask them in and the response that people create with the Lego is how you go along on that journey. And so Often it'll be, I have an idea of what I want to do. Like that example of we're doing one thing to explore the offerings 
but then it actually comes out in the middle that that's not really the issue. So then we do something else entirely. So yeah. it's the truest facilitation I, in the sense of I'm not there telling or doing anything other than asking the questions and seeing what emerges in the room. So Your field guide. <laughs> yeah, I love that field guide. So what does an avatar look like? You can create avatars and what you would might do would say you'd be like you could build the organization through different builds. So it could be the everybody builds what does the future look like? Build that. What does the company's identity look like? What are some of the challenges? And you can put them all together and build relationships between them. And then you might build an ideal customer through an avatar. And then okay. look at how that interacts with the system. So it's all That's it's true. all about relationships and connections, and and everything's labeled with sticky notes or little white card white whiteboard cards. So when you look at these things, they're this kind of huge mess on the table of Lego and sticky notes and labels, and but it makes sense to the creators of it, and it's this real coming together of the inside and knowledge in the room. That's cool. I like that the journey, because I love sailing. So the weather dictates generally where you're going to go and where you need to be safe. And sometimes you have to weather a storm. So I like going out into the unknown and using the environment to guide you and being able to adapt on the fly. Now, is there a success story that you'd like to highlight? What is, I don't, of course, you don't want to mention any company names, but What's a success story? What are you really proud of, like from building a tower to a final outcome? My my favorite thing right now is I've started training other people in my flavor of Lego Serious Play. So they learn Lego Serious Play and they learn the Super Connect add-on. And that is my favorite success story because everybody who's come to the training so far pretty much has gone on to integrate it into their work or launch a new business. And I love working with go-givers. I like to say that I work with different leaders making a difference. And all of them have taken taken Lego Serious Play and brought it into their work to do something amazing. Amanda Rogers is one of the people that come to mind. She's just brought together, she does education for kids who are twice exceptional. So learning challenges, but also gifted. And so she brings together that with her. So she's a primary school teacher and brings it together with her background in philosophy education. So cool. her product is called Philosobrick. Philosobrick, that's cool. Yeah, and so they get kids like five, six, seven years old exploring hardcore philosophy concepts. But not only that, she does it in a super inclusive way. So no matter what learning style or need you have, you can come and she understands and will create an environment for you to come and just be what you need to do to learn in the way that you need to learn. And it's so in demand right now. And she says that she's has more demand than she has capacity for right now because no one's, no one's really properly serving this space. And because she has lived experience with her own kids and her own experience, she really gets it. So it's like stuff like that where it's just, it's amazing what she's doing in terms of successful business, but also something that's really bringing something needed to the world that's making the world better. Yeah, I'd like them to play with Schrodinger's cat or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've had the chance to talk a lot about AI, but both with other people and also together. Now, on LinkedIn, I read this beautiful post that you wrote, but it's why do we need to replace fear with curiosity in terms of AI? Because I know you're really about playing curiosity, and I'm really interested to explore that topic with you. 
Yeah, there is a lot of fear, AI anxiety right now. Yes, yeah, and it's coming. The Terminators are going to destroy us all. It's coming to steal your job. <laughs> and I think it's important to, to distinguish if you're coming to this. A lot of coverage or the discussion, we don't distinguish between generative AI, which is the state we're at right now. That's where the technology is. And yeah, which is not really even that intelligent. <laughs> I just read a summary of some interesting research papers that are coming out about that, which have changed my mind a bit. What I think is so interesting about this is that for the first time, we're creating something that we don't actually understand, like yeah. really profoundly don't understand. We could say any technology, we don't understand the impact. But not only do we not understand the impact, we don't actually really understand the technology. So we're having to research these things that we've made to understand them. And so I just read a summary of really, I think it was as early as March this year, looking at creativity and chat GPT and other generative AIs. And finding that it outperforms 90% of humans. And so I was digging down into the methodology of how they actually evaluate creativity and how they assess if it's good or bad. But they had a panel of humans judging how creative it was. But the challenge is still, are they actually useful? So I'd say innovation is like useful creativity. So they were creative, but not necessarily useful. Yeah, it's almost like they have a, a bigger palette, a bigger database of things to draw creativity and random stuff from. But it doesn't mean it's actually useful in the real world. It's like a kid. Kids come up with, I made a game about 10 years ago with a bunch of kids as co-creators. And the stuff that they would come up with in terms of like characters, like one kid had, he created this character called the Zizzes. No, the Milk Zombies. The Milk Zombies. This is another one, the Milk Zombies. And so they were these zombies that had pigs for feet. Because obviously, but their whole society ran on milk. So they'd have milk power trains. This kid must like milk. (laughs) And pigs and zombies. But just that kind of stuff. It's almost, is that a good character? Maybe not. But it's certainly creative and not the same thing that grownups would come up with. So it's almost like maybe that's another way of thinking about where AI is at right now. It's like a kid. Which is scary and interesting and fascinating at the same time. So this is a question you can choose not to answer. Do you think artists or creatives should be concerned about our AI or is this an opportunity to help push human creativity and be help augment creativity and expand new frontiers within the field of artistry and creativity? The answer to that is a, it's a complicated answer yeah. because we tend to just focus on technology. It's okay. Is technology going to do this? But we forget in what culture, society, economic system is this technology being created and used. So the challenge is that capitalism optimizes for profit. Yes. So it's not that I wouldn't say it's necessarily a technology problem. I'd say it's more of a human problem. Totally. Because the human beings are the ones that are using it and corporates are generally about bottom line using it in social media, advertising, marketing, and finance. And that's what scares me. Yeah, so it's optimizing for efficiency and profit rather than connection and creativity and happiness. So, yeah. yeah. Sustainability, biodiversity, conservation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because as we've talked about before, AI is a tool made by us, and the data that it's using is made by us. So it's basically a reflection on 
humanity's data and what we've accomplished so far. And we've got the biggest knowledge and database in the world, but the people who are really using it for profit and driving it are the ones who are going for profit. And so they hold the bigger reins, which is the scary part. Yeah. For me anyway. Yeah. Indeed. I agree with you. It's more about the humans that I'm worried about than the technology. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> it's made by us for us, hopefully to help us. But yeah, depending on who it's trying to help is the key. How do we gain hope? Because we like to talk about the positive sides of things, the solutions rather than just the problems. How do you think we can reduce anxiety and improve hope around AI and the way an individual or an organization can use it? I think that what we it's almost like reframing what we've just talked about, which is that yeah. I think a lot of the AI anxiety is, oh, these robots that we have no control over and we don't understand are coming to take over the world. And so, yes, it's humans creating this and we're making bad decisions, but still it is humans creating it. Like we still have choices and control. And the fear is that we'll reach this point where depending on how you want to describe it or who you want to, who you talk to, but the singularity where AI becomes more intelligent than humans or where we achieve artificial general intelligence or transformative AI, we haven't gotten to that point yet. There's almost like an existential philosophical question, can that ever happen? Yes. Um, and what will happen? And do we want that to happen? And so there's still, we still have a lot of control, we as humans, but I guess it's, again, it's more of a human problem, right? Which is how do we change the human thing so that we're creating better technology for ourselves that's more yeah, and sustainable and all those things that are important. And I think it's a very anthropomorphic view. If we've created general artificial intelligence or transformative artificial intelligence, to me, I don't even think it would care so much about humans. We think it's just going to wipe us out like the Matrix or Terminator, but would it actually even care? It'd probably be dealing with much more interesting things about the the way the universe truly works or totally different questions we've never even thought of before. Or what if it helps us, right? There's great things about humans, but there's also a lot of things that we need to work on as humans. And it's interesting. And you're right, it is very anthropomorphic. And maybe it's like a reflection of our shadow side that it's, yeah. we assume that this thing we create is going to be as bad as us. You know what I mean? As good and bad as us or worse than us. Yeah. And who knows if that's true? Because human beings, we have this great capacity for compassion, empathy, collaboration. And most people, I think, want to save the planet and all the critters in it, maybe barring like mosquitoes or something like that. But everyone wants the world to thrive. What if we rearrange the way we talked about value and create more value than we actually capture? I always think about corporate structures, right? You've got your pie graph. All right, we want our 1% of the slice of the pie. To get more, you've got to take more from others. But if you create a bigger pie and still have 1%, you actually still get way more value. But you're not taking from anyone else. You're actually adding more value than you capture. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. just an idea. It's abundance mentality rather than scarcity mentality. And if yeah. you look at companies like family-owned companies that aren't optimizing for profit, so Lego was one of them, Ikea, yeah. it means that you can do things that are like valuing other things than profit. So Ikea doesn't, apparently it's very un-Swedish to talk about, to wave your own sustainability flag. Yes. But I saw a talk by the sustainability manager 
around what IKEA is doing around waste diversion and recycling and all of the things that they do and getting rid of toxic chemicals in their particle board, for example, like years and years before they had to, because they realized it was a problem. We don't really hear about that, but that's an example of if you optimize for value beyond profit, good things can happen. Yeah. Have you heard of debt nature swapping or the debt nature scheme? So where companies, I think Gabon was just forgiven $450 million of debt by developing countries, by conserving, like creating a huge marine reserve. Imagine if we valued nature like that. Countries could alleviate their debt or being given credits, right? Subsidies for preserving nature and conservation. If we changed our value system like that, I think that would be pretty cool. It'd still give heaps of jobs. It'd still involve studying technology and better ways of doing stuff, as opposed to just getting more people to get the next iPhone. I totally agree. That's a great idea. Cool. So we've got to wrap this up. I could talk to you literally for (laughs) hours. But are there any final words on play, creativity, the face of AI that you would like to impart on listeners in the corporate entrepreneur sphere, but also just human beings in general? I think the parting words is the hope that I have is the playfulness and curiosity and connection. And I think just seeing things that are happening, especially with Gen Z and younger millennials, there is a real shift into, to, into what we want the future to look like yes. and not being happy with the status quo. So that really gives me a lot of hope for the future on a number of fronts. And that's another, another way of thinking what could happen with AI if we have that mentality and it's, we're talking about values, the values we embed into economic systems or AI, that's, that makes me very hopeful. I used to be really freaked out about AI, but I feel there's a lot of things as you talk about in Future Crunch focuses on around being positive and a lot of things to be really positive about. So that gives me hope. Yeah, what else can you do? What else can you do? <laughs> I think the future belongs to optimists. The pessimists yeah. are just spectators. And I think of really believing in a courageous, factu- factually accurate optimism because there are many things to be optimistic about and there are many facts and pieces of evidence and incredible stories of human ingenuity and kindness going around all over the world. I think we just need better access to those types of stories. And fear does horrible things to your brain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And optimism is a choice and sometimes it's hard work. It's not easy in a world of negativity and fear. Yeah, but it sure does feel better, doesn't it? If you can do oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why conversations like these hopefully make our listeners feel a bit more positive. Thank you, Kate, for joining us. Always such a pleasure to chat to such a beautiful mind and a wonderful person. Thanks, Tane. Right back at you. This is great. Personally, I just love the idea of more play and curiosity in people's workday. I mean, how cool was it as a kid to tinker with all the Legos? I mean, I used to spend hours doing that. I think we should break up our daily lives with a bit of play and Lego. And truly, the science is in. It leads to faster learning, innovation, and better ways of thinking. So to wrap up this episode of Conscious Capital, I'd like to share this quote from Dr. Karen Purvis. She says, scientists have recently determined that it takes approximately 400 repetitions to create a new synapse in the brain, unless you've done it with play. 
in which case it takes only between 10 to 20 repetitions. I think that's pretty stunning research. Thanks for joining us today on Conscious Capital, and stay safe out there, be kind, stay curious, play more, stay classy planet Earth, and don't do anything we wouldn't do. On Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You have a theory about accelerator programs. Yes, we've been through, well, we've mentored and coached in a few accelerator programs. Just a few. Over the years. <laughs> Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, the advisory board is here to lend a helping hand. Like, what are the blind spots that we have? What are the things that you just don't know. Megan Flamer and Alan Jones have helped thousands of founders, CEOs and organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. How are the startup ecosystems different around the world? The Advisory Board. If they're a casual employee, their minimum entitlements will be different to somebody that's permanent, for example. Live on DAB+. I have to be prepared to, to take constructive criticism and take it on board and listen to it and you know incorporate it. Online and on demand at Disrupt.radio.